Well, good morning, everybody. Linda's going to pass the buckets around since we forgot. Okay, everybody, go ahead and have a seat. Um, House sends his greetings. He is actually in the desert. His plan was to um, come today. And um, what do we normally do when we start feeling better? We overdo it. And he is a person that totally overdoes it. So he overdid it and realized that yesterday morning and thought, huh, I'm not feeling as well as I thought I was. I still need to rest. Really? Yes. And I told him that last week. And um, so you did too. I think every all of us did that knew him, no, had talked to him as to keep resting, don't push it. And so um, he realized that and decided he's still in the desert and resting. And he took a two-hour nap, and then he rested some more, and then napped some more. And so um, his plan is to be here next Sunday. So um, I think he will be if he continues to rest and to um, feel better and just not push it. So you get me again. Yay. Yay. woohoo! My few friends. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So um, this time I had a week to prepare, and you would think it would be easier, but it was actually much harder. I don't know why that was. Uh-oh, I think my, I think my pa- iPad just connected, and now it's dinging every text message. Um, this will be fun. <laughs> so um, today we're 2020. Um, last week, or the last two weeks, the power of intention, what do you want? Last week we were doing Igniting Your Imagination for Breakthrough. And last week's um, homework was practice in your head um, to ignite your imagination. And so I hope you guys are starting to do these homework assignments, writing your list of your wants and your needs and your desires, and then also sitting with the Lord and just imagining, igniting your imagination, imagining your goals coming into focus and um, into fruition. And then this week we are looking at Paul's night vision turning crisis into opportunity, and it's um, chapter 13 of the book that we um, are going from. It's Psycho-Cybernetics, written in the 60s. Excellent book. I would highly recommend it if you want to read it, and great for kids, high schoolers. Um, I guess a lot of high school kids read it back in the day. (coughs) So our main verse is going to be Acts 18.9. So crisis just ahead. How many of you love to see that? Yeah. So last week I felt like I, we were in a little crisis. House is sick. He's actually in the emergency room. I'm at work, and I'm thinking, shoot, I'm going to have to preach on Sunday. I could have melted and said, no way, and went running and screaming the other way. Or I could have said, okay, Lord, you and me, we got this. And I said, Lord, you and me, we got this. Because that's what we do in crisis. And so... There's so many different crises we can go through. We can go through identity crisis. We can go through marriage or relationship crisis. We can go through midlife crisis. There goes my ding again. Um, we can go through natural crisis. We can go through financial crisis, personal health crisis, like House has been going through. I'm going to ask you to sound like that for me. Thank you. So um, we can go through a crisis of faith. We can, there's so many different ways we can go through a crisis. 
And I think all of us have probably gone through some some type of crisis in our life. And some of you may be going through something right now um, that we just don't know about. So what do we do? Well, let's define crisis. Now, in the Bible, I'm going to tell you, crisis is mentioned only once, the word crisis. And it's regarding marriage. Yeah, I know. I thought that was funny. And so um, I I dug a little deeper and came up, um, looked at the actual Greek translation because it was in the New Testament. And um, I forgot to look up how to say that word, so there you go. And it actually um, describes distress. When we're in a crisis, we feel distressed. And it's a time of intense difficulty, trouble, or danger. That's what a crisis is. It can be a small crisis. It can be a life-altering crisis. We don't know. Um, It just depends on what it is. But we have two reactions, two ways to react to a crisis. The first is fear and flight. The second one is to stay and fight. And we get to choose that. God's not going to make us robots and say, no, you're going to do it this way. I wish he would sometimes, right? But we get to choose how we react in crisis and to crisis. So what do we do? Well, the best way is to turn our crisis into opportunity. And that's what this book is talking about um, in Malt's book, uh, Psycho-Cybernetics, is to, to turn our crisis into opportunities to learn, into opportunities to grow, into opportunities to teach others, into opportunities to make better decisions, to gain wisdom, to gain knowledge. We want to grow. So in this book as well, it says we have one basic emotion, and that is excitement. So how do you feel when you're excited? Happy, right? Does your adrenaline start pumping? Or our pulses start racing? Our hands might get a little sweaty. Our stomachs kind of go into knots. We get those butterflies. Every time I'm up here in front of you guys, I do that, whether I'm doing announcements or preaching. Same exact feeling. Get those butterflies in my stomach. Hands kind of get sweaty. Now, how do you feel when you're in a crisis or when you feel distressed? You're going to start getting your adrenaline pumping. Your heart and pulse are racing. You're going to get sweaty palms. Your stomach's going to get in knots, right? You're going to get the butterflies. One emotion, but we get to decide how we react. If we act in goal-oriented, that's what the book says, in a goal-oriented way, if we act like we're going to um, be able to get through it, we're going to act more in a positive manner. We're going to interpret the feeling We're going to get stronger. We're going to have clear-headedness during this time. So when I get up, before I, you know, when I'm back there worshiping, before I have to preach, I'm getting excited, right? I'm getting, my adrenaline's going, my pulse starts racing, my hands do get sweaty, I get butterflies in my stomach, and then something happens. It's time for me to preach, and I get very focused. I get very clear-headed most of the time. And there's a calm that comes over me. I still have butterflies in my stomach, but there is a calm and a peace that comes over me. Now, if we go 
the opposite way. And if I stood back there and I started to think, oh dear God, what am I doing? I'm going to start dreading. I'm going to start having fear. I could start having anxiety. I could panic. And trust me, I've done that before. Anxiety, panic. Even though I was excited and I had all the same emotions, now my mind has gone in a different way. My mind is thinking, what if they don't like me? What if I can't speak? What if I can't remember what I was supposed to talk about? What if? And I what if myself to death and to panic and to fear. And guess what's going to happen if I came up in that mood, in that mindset? What would happen? You guys would want to throw me out of this room. I wouldn't be able to speak to you at all. It's all how you interpret your feelings. How does your head match your bodily response? Are we going to, last week we learned about creative and destructive imagination. During my excitement, my creative imagination is going, Lord, you and I have got this. We're going to go. This is going to be fun. Or I could be back there going, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing ever. This is going to be horrible. I'm not going to be able to do this. Creative or destructive imagination, we get to choose. How are we going to put our feelings of excitement into action during a crisis? So one of the mistakes that we make is when we go into fear, it shuts us down. We feel inadequate. We feel unworthy. Basically, we choke up, right? Where if we can get the excitement and go the other way and look at opportunities, we're going to have strength. We're going to have power. We're going to have clear thought and be able to move forward. So what do we do? We're going to look at Paul to look how we handle crisis, how he handles crisis. And we're going to look at Acts 18, 5 through 11. I always extend it because... If you just look at one verse, you don't get the whole picture, so I extended this. So, Kim, if you can keep up while I read this. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, this is early on in his faith, just so you know. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went to next door to the house of Titus Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Now this is our key verse. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in the city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. So now when I first read this, I thought, wow, Paul has it all together. He just told them off, went on, and kept doing his business. But the Lord had to come to him and tell him not to be afraid. So what was going on in Paul's head? So I had to dig deep and look, and realize that Paul was facing a crisis. He shook off his garments is very symbolic. It is, oh, there we go. He shook off his clothes in protest. It's very symbolic. It is 
shaking off, cleansing of oneself. It's like getting rid of all the gook, right? It's shake off anything that might adhere to you. So he was like symbolically saying, I'm not letting your words get to me. I'm going to shake them off. But here's the one that caught my eye. He shows extreme contempt, contempt and no longer wants to deal with them. In a crisis situation, there are times where we're going to feel contempt and no longer want to deal with the situation. So guess what he did? He hightailed it to the next door neighbor and stayed in his house and taught there. He didn't go out and speak again. He stayed in the house. And so the Lord said, you know, you're doing a good work. You're still bringing people to faith. But God had bigger plans for Paul. Paul was worried because, come on, they were abusive to him. What if they kill me if I keep talking out in the synagogue, out in public? What if they kill me? What if they do something to my friends and my family? He was in the midst of crisis. And so what he did is stayed in. Yes, people came to him. Yes, there were still believers. But he came in. He kind of shut down a little bit, right? Stayed with a believer and didn't go out. So the Lord had to come to him in a vision and say, do not be afraid. Trust me, I got this. And so that changed that crisis to an opportunity for Paul to where he stayed. It's very important that that scripture says he stayed for a year and a half in Corinth. He was most likely getting ready to leave because of the abuse he he had and because of that crisis. And instead, he turned that crisis into an opportunity to reach the Gentiles in Corinth. And Corinth was one of the most, um, was one of his favorite churches in the end. That was his home church. So what do you do when you face crisis? How you handle it is key. Oh, there we go. Lord, speak. Don't be afraid. There we go. Trust equals fear, or no fear, and he will be with us. So how do you handle a crisis? Transform the problem from yourself to God. Simple, right? Not so simple. Because we're in a crisis mode, it's hard to transform transfer our fears to God, to transform our problems to God, transfer anything to God. So you got to start now before the crisis hits. This is one of my favorite things to hear, right? Yeah, Kathy. God will never give you more than you can handle. It is not in the Bible. Do not say that to anyone. That is like nails on a chalkboard to me. I hate when people say this. I literally do hate. I mean, everything inside me just tenses up. And it's like I'm hearing nails on a chalkboard. It drives me crazy when people say that. They are trying to help. And if anyone ever said that to me, I know you're trying to help. But it doesn't. If you're in the middle of a crisis and you're feeling overwhelmed and like you can't take another breath or you cannot stand up, that's the last thing you want to hear. God will never, stay on. God will never give you anything more than you can handle. Have a good day. That's kind of like what it is. Okay, what am I supposed to do with that? That is not in the Bible. Now, why? If you can handle it, you don't need God. That's what I've always told people. If I could handle my crisis, if I could handle my situation, what do I need God for? 
if he didn't ever give me more than I could handle or allow more than I can handle into my life, what would I need God for? We need God in everything. We cannot do it alone. In times of crisis, God wants to handle it, and he wants the glory. We heard that last week, right? Gideon, he had an army of 22,000. And what did God say to Gideon? That's too many. I don't want the Israelites to think they did it in their own power. Get rid of them. And he dwindled down to 300. And when they went to fight, there was more camels than they could count. There was more men than they could count. And yet God did an amazing thing where they won with 300 people. And they knew it wasn't in their own power. They knew it was in God's power. And that's what God wants. He doesn't want us to have to handle it. He doesn't want us to have to do it on our own. He wants to be able to do it with us and through us. And then we give God the glory. We point everything to God. That's what he wants. Now, I did hear this. I saw this funny thing, and it says, instead of saying, God won't give you more than you can handle, to someone say, hey, why don't I come over and handle the laundry for you? Amen? Or men. Instead of saying that to a man, say, hey, I'll come over and do your lawn. I'll mow your lawn for you. It's, we want to try to help, help in other ways. Don't say that. Now that's what my whole meaning is. So let's think of it this way. God will very likely give you more than you can handle. How many of you have been there? I'm going to raise two hands and my feet because that's been more than once. He will not, however, give you more than he can handle. That is the difference. If I'm self-absorbed and relying on self, God's not going to handle it and I'm going to fail miserably. But if God handles it, if I can say, Lord, you got this, you need to handle this, he will. He will handle it. So what are some practicalities that we can take into this? To handle crisis, what do we do? And how do we practice? All of this that we're leading up to every week, we're saying practice, 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 right? Um, write down your list of your wants and desires. Then imagine those desires coming true. Desire uh, and ignite your imagination. God can speak in you and through you. And so these practicalities are things we can do so that we can turn crisis into opportunities. And it is all from the Bible. So this is, here's a trick for you. If you want to look up a word, go to blueletteredbible.com or to Bible Gateway or one of those study tools. I put in crisis. That's how I knew there was only one. doesn't matter what version I had. It was one. And then I typed in, once I learned it was distress, put in distress, and there was a whole bunch. So I started reading all the cries for help all the people that were in distress. And I came up with, I think, five, five practicalities from the Bible. The first one, call to the Lord, 2 Samuel 22, 7. It says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice my cry came to his ear. When we call to him in the midst of crisis, he will hear us. Our cries will reach him. So the first thing we need to do 
is called to him. Amen? Oh, man, I have called many, many. Help me, Lord! I need you. We want to call to him. The second one is we need to turn to the Lord. Second Chronicles 15.4 But in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. If I'm looking at my crisis and concentrating only on my distress and my crisis, what am I going to be thinking of always? My crisis and my distress, my dis- being distraught, the horrible things that are happening. But he says, turn to the Lord. So make that 180. Oh, it's really hard sometimes. And face the Lord. Concentrate on the Lord. Look at the Lord. The other junk's behind us. Is it still happening? Yeah. But we're going to concentrate on the Lord. We're going to seek him out. He's, we're going to be found by him. And he's going to find us. And he's going to help us through it. But if we only concentrate on the crisis and the distress that we're in, the Lord can't help us. We have to physically Turn our minds, change our mindset in seeking the Lord. So turn towards the Lord. The third one, humble yourself. And this again, Second Chronicles 33, 12. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord, his God, and humbled himself greatly before, before his God, before the God of his ancestor, ancestors. We need to humble ourselves. Pride, man, that gets me in trouble. When we think we can do it on our own. Yeah, we can call out to him. We can say, oh, Lord, I'm looking at you. I'm turned towards you. I'm seeking after you. But when our pride gets in the way and we start making decisions on our own strength and our own merits, so we can get into trouble. We need to humble ourselves and let and know that we can't do it on our own. We can't do it in our own strength and power. We have to trust the Lord. We have to seek his favor, not our own, not man's, not anyone else's. Seek his favor and humble ourselves to him. Now, some people think being humble into the Lord is a weakness. I'm going to tell you it's the strongest thing you could ever do because it takes strength to do that. It takes courage to do that, to say, not going with what the world does. I'm going to humble myself for the Lord and seek him. And I'm going to look for his favor. And that takes strength. And that takes courage to do because it is not easy in our human form. It also doesn't mean you're a doormat. It doesn't mean that you have to just lay down and take whatever comes your way. Don't ever, I'm talking to someone right now, I'm like, don't be a doormat! It doesn't go to this church, so it's okay. Um, and I'm like, I know that you're trying to trust God and I know you're doing this, but that doesn't mean you're a doormat and you let other people walk all over you. Humbling yourself is in front of the Lord is going to give you strength because it's going to give him your, his strength and his power, not man's. So humble yourself. I had fun with this, you know? Fasting in community. I love Esther. Now, do you know, does everyone know the story of Esther? Esther, um, orphan girl, raised by her uncle, Jewish. Um, the king's um, wife, his queen, um, ignored him. So he banished her, got rid of her, and was looking for a new queen. So he rounded up all the young girls in his kingdom and brought them into his palace. He basically wined and dined them, gave them beauty treatment. And Esther, this little Jewish girl, was named queen. 
He found his favor. She found his favor and was made queen. During all of this, her uncle was always at the gate praying and fasting and stirring up a little trouble. Um, and one of the king's advisors didn't like him, so he put out this edict that to kill all the Jews. We're going to just wipe them out. Because, sound familiar, right? Because they're just causing problems. They're not worshiping you. So we're going to, um, we're not, they're not worshiping you, King. They're worshiping some God. And if they put them, him before you, what's that leave you? So, so he puts out this edict that, um, all the Jews will be killed on a certain day. So Mordecai now is wailing. He's torn his clothes like they did it. They put ashes on their head and they're just crying out to the Lord. Queen Esther now, who's in the palace, finds out from her aides that this is what's happening. So sends them, find out what happened. He sends a note back to her and says, hey, look, don't think you're not going to be part of this. You're Jewish. You're going to be killed, too, if they find out who you are. So you need to start doing something about it. You're the only one. And in this crisis, she has two things to do. Ignore Mordecai and just keep doing her queenly thing um, and with the possibility of death looming over her or go to the king when she's not been called to talk to him which leads to death so her option is death or death she's in the middle of this crisis what do I do and Mordecai says look maybe you were put in this position for this time for this time for this purpose and so here's her response to to um, Mordecai, her uncle. Go gather together all the Jews and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days. I and my attendants will fast as you do. Do you have to fast with food? No. You can. It's actually pretty cool when you can. Um, but what she did is she gathered people around her in her crisis as she's trying to seek the Lord and what to do to gain the power and the strength to do something, she gained, she gathered her community around her to join her in prayer and fasting. Fasting can be anything that is, can be anything that you take away from your life that is not leading you to the Lord, that's taking you away from the Lord. So, do you spend a lot of time on social media or your phone? Do you spend a lot of time watching TV? Sports are on a lot of football games here. You know, do you spend all your time watching football games instead of spending and saying, oh, I don't have time to spend with the Lord. I'm on social media sometimes too much, and then I go, I'm so busy. Really? What was I really doing all day? Um, find out what is getting in the way of spending time with the Lord and fast from that for three days. Ask your family and your friends, that community, to gather around you and do the same. Because it's much easier when we're all doing it together. And ask the Lord to, to gather you together and to answer your prayers. Lord, what do you need us to do in this situation? How can we become closer to you? How can we um, fix our finances? How can we repair our relationship? How can we get through this midlife crisis? How do I get through this vocational crisis? Lord, I don't know that I have faith anymore. That's especially a good time to gather your community around. Fast and pray with me. 
for three days, a week, whatever it takes. What is keeping you from spending time with the Lord? Fast and pray from it. So fasting and in community and with community will help you to turn a crisis into an opportunity. And number five, which I think I have found my brand new favorite verse. Lean into the Lord's strength. Second Samuel twenty four fourteen, and David said to God, to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for His mercy is great. But do not fall into the human, do, but do not fall into human hands. Seems like a simple little verse. Let us fall into the hands of God. The word hand, when you look at the original Hebrew means fall into God's strength, his power, and his support. In the midst of crisis, don't rely on human hands, because you'll fall every time. But fall into the strength, the power, and the support of God's hand. He will catch you. He will guide you. He will give you the wisdom and the knowledge to get through in any crisis and turning it into an opportunity. So, I'm going to have the praise team come up. Our assignment this week is get God's perspective in your life. Do it now so that when crisis comes, you'll have his perspective and it'll be easier to call out for him to him. It'll be easier to turn towards him. It'll be easier to fast and to pray. It'll be easier to um, lean into the strength of the Lord. Fall into his strength and his power and support. When we have God's perspective, we can ask the Lord for anything. We can, we'll have a creative, not a destructive mindset or imagination. And the big thing is, this is key, we don't make mountains out of molehills. How many times have we done that? Looking back on things that we thought were the biggest crisis, life or death things in our life. And when we look back, we go, now why was I so concerned about that? We make mountains out of molehills because we don't have God's perspective and we're not leaning into his, his strength. When we can have the mindset of Christ, we can go peacefully and calmly into life. Doesn't mean stuff's not going to happen because what did Jesus say? You will have trials and tribulations. There will be distress. There will be crisis. But with me... I can, you can handle it. You can handle it. Um, I'm just going to go through. Next week's lesson is going to be Peter's non-kosher menu. Dehypnotize yourself from false beliefs. When I was getting ready this morning, the song, um, This Little Light of Mine came into my head. So I started singing, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And then I went right to the verse, Hide it under a bushel. No! I'm going to let it shine. When we have God's perspective in crisis, when we can lean on him, we can turn to him, our light is going to shine. When we let fear and anxiety and the world take over, we're hiding it under a bushel, and the light inside of us can no longer shine. So we can make our light bright, or we can dim it. It's our choice. But God is there every step of the way with us.
I'm going to leave you, I'm going to have you stand up. I'm going to leave you with this last verse. Kind of a prayer. But Lord, be merciful to us, for we have waited for you. Be our strong arm each day and our salvation in times of trouble. Father God, we thank you that in times of distress, in times of crisis, that you were standing with us, that there are times that you were carrying us through. Lord, help us to continue to turn towards you, to lean into you, to trust you and to have faith that no matter what is going on, you are there and you can handle it. Now, we don't have to do it in our own strength, but that you can handle it. Lord, you tell us that you have a plan and a purpose for each person's life in here. And it's not for destruction, but one of hope, one of prosperity, that we have a future, a God-ordained future. So, Lord, as we go through life and we hit these bumps, let us know that they're just bumps and not mountains. They're not molehills, but mountains. Help us to fly or glide over the bumps with grace and with mercy and with your strength and your power, with your courage, Lord. Help us to see clearly Help our minds have the mindset of Christ. If there's any confusion or any um, distraction, Lord, just get rid of it now. Let us have the mindset of Christ. Let our light shine before him and give him all the glory. Amen.